But if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, if, if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. So today we're going to be wrapping that up. Um, and so we're actually not ending with the last verse of the Lord's Prayer. Bob taught on that last week. But we're going back to a verse that we actually put on hold for a little while. Um, and it's the verse, it's verse 11 of uh, Matthew chapter 6. And it's the verse that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, I have felt I have felt a lot of weight from this message. I have felt like really heavy, uh, and not in a bad way, but just like like we're talking about the kingdom of God. Like we're talking about heaven. We're talking about God's will. Like. These are not that every piece of scripture isn't heavy in some sense because it's God's word being given to us, but but this one for me is just different. Like it's it's the kingdom. It's like all encompassing the kingdom of God, heaven, the ultimate purpose for why God has done everything that God has done, for for why He sent Jesus, for why we're here, for why we gather here on a Sunday. This is why it's about the kingdom of God. And so today, if I come off as I, I think I'm somebody that already comes off as pretty serious, like I'm not like a super like easygoing guy. I don't think. Um, I wish I was, but I'm not. But if I come off like as super serious and kind of like there's a burden, like. It's because it's because there is, and I feel like I need to try to communicate that. So, um, so this is something that's bigger than me. This is something that's bigger than any of you. This is something that's bigger than this building. This is something that's bigger than our country, and even something that's bigger than the entire world. This is something that encompasses all of humanity before us, all of time before us, and encompasses all of time after us. The the kingdom of God. It's something that that isn't light. It's something that isn't easy to really grasp. While it's simple, it's complex. While, while, it's, while it's, it's easy to take a hold of, it's also really big and really vast. And so I want to try to keep it as simple as we can today, but I'm just going to give a disclaimer that I have roughly 40 minutes today to talk about the kingdom of God, to talk about the will of God, and to talk about heaven. And that's just not really a sufficient amount of time, right? I'm not going to do justice in any of these explanations and any of, any of this teaching to what it's really like. It's something that we are going to be learning new things about for the rest of eternity. And so I'm not naive enough to think that me here in 40 minutes is going to cover the all-encompassing information of heaven and God's will and, and the kingdom. So we'll try to keep it simple. So there's three questions. One of them has a sub-question, so there's kind of four. There's three questions that, in order for us to really wrap our minds around what this stuff is talking about, I think, first of all, there's a lot of ambiguity when it comes to what is the kingdom, when it comes to heaven, and when it comes to God's will. Like, 
some of us have different pictures of what heaven means, right? Some of us think it's a, you know, we picture it as this place with, with clouds where angels fly around and, and stuff like that. Like some of us might picture it something different. It's just, it's kind of ambiguous. And, and the reason for that is because like nobody's ever been there other than, other than Jesus. Nobody has ever gone to heaven and then came back, despite what some movies may tell you. Nobody's been there. And so that's why we don't know. It, it's, it's something that we don't know, and it's something that I think we can't know, because if God really gave us the ability to, to, to have insight to that, it would overwhelm us. It wouldn't be something we'd be able to process. And so, so all, all that to say, like, there's a lot of ambiguity here. So my hope today is that we just are able to zone in and focus in a little bit more on what it really means for us to ask for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done, and what it means, like how it is in heaven. Like it says, on earth as it is in heaven, we're going to talk about, well, how is it in heaven? Um, to the best of our knowledge, based on what God has given us in his word. So, the first question, what is the kingdom? The second question, what is his will, accompanied by, what does it mean that we ask for it to be done? And then three, how is it in heaven? Like I just said. So, we'll jump right in. Uh, what is the kingdom? So the kingdom of God slash this kingdom of heaven, it's something that's referred to 126 times in the Gospels, and then it's referred to 34 times in the rest of the New Testament. So what does that kind of tell us? Knowing that the Gospels were about the life of Jesus, the, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, we can kind of conclude that Jesus was somebody that was about the kingdom, right? Jesus he loved the individual perfectly, right? I'm not saying that he didn't do that. He, we see encounter after encounter where Jesus, he approached somebody, someone who was sick, someone who, who needed healing. He approached them, and he gave them exactly what they needed. He showed them compassion. He showed them love. He showed them grace. So we see that he, he loves the individual perfectly, but Jesus, he was about more than just the individual, right? He was about bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Ultimately, Jesus did not come here to save Josh Baker. Ultimately, Jesus did not come here to save Joe Meredith. Ultimately, so I'm not saying those things are not true, but I'm saying ultimately that was not the purpose. Jesus didn't come just so that I could be saved, so that I could come to know him. He came to save all sinners, right? He came to, to, to rescue all sinners, all who may believe. And so, we need to kind of, and I feel like I've been harping on this a lot in the last couple of months, but like switch our minds from such a, how can this be applied to my own life? And more of just a, just like receive it, how it was meant to be received in that let's receive it more corporately. Let's receive it as an individual who is part of this massive thing called the kingdom, right? Not as just an individual, right? So, so, so let's just kind of keep that in mind. So Jesus was about the kingdom and the kingdom is not a place. Like, you know, we think of heaven, we think of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and, and it's easy to think that that's referring to a place. So just to kind of help us wrap our minds around that, let's not think of kingdom as realm, let's think of kingdom as reign. So the kingdom, our operating definition today is going to be that the kingdom is the full reality of God himself and his complete and perfect reign. I'll say that again. The kingdom of God is the full reality of God himself and his complete and perfect reign. So there's, this, there's this, these kind of two aspects about this thing that we call kingdom, about the kingdom of God, and, and it's often referred to as the already but not yet. So what that means is that there's this aspect of the kingdom that's present, 
here in our lives, here right now, as we stand here and sit here in this room, the kingdom is present here. But there's this other aspect of the kingdom that has not yet fully been revealed, that has not yet fully come. Uh, The already part, so we hear Jesus in the gospel say things like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We hear Jesus say things like, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And so in that regard, regard, in the regard of God's sovereign plan, the kingdom of heaven is present here. In Jesus coming, in the Son being sent, in the Spirit being given, the kingdom of heaven is present here. It's with us. We have, we have access to God. God left heaven, and the man of Jesus came here, died, was raised, and in that aspect, the kingdom of heaven is present. But there's this other aspect that it's not yet fully been revealed. It's not yet fully present. And so I'll explain that. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So you, know, you, you take that illustration, that picture of a, of a mirror that we see in, and it's, and it's dim. It's kind of, you know, imagine like this foggy mirror. Like you see it, but you don't see it perfectly clear. So... That's the aspect of the not yet. The already is Jesus has come, he's died, we've been given, for those who believe, we've been given his spirit, we've been given full access to him and who he is, but though we've been invited behind the curtain, there's part of it that we just aren't going to have the ability to fully comprehend and see while we're here on this side of heaven. So then the not yet part of the kingdom is us asking for in essence, Jesus to come back. Us asking for Jesus to return so that the, so that the kingdom, so that the, the kingdom that's described like in the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, that's the aspect of the kingdom that has not yet fully been revealed, right? You know, we, we, we think about heaven, like obviously heaven is a place that we haven't been to yet. We haven't seen. We, though we've seen the glory of God in the man of Jesus, we haven't seen the glory of God like we will one day when it's perfect, like we will one day, when there's no pain, when there's no suffering, when there's no more tears. We haven't experienced it yet. So the kingdom has these two parts, the already and the not yet. And so basically then when we're asking for the kingdom to come, what we're asking is first, in relation to the kingdom being present now, the already, we're asking for right now in our lives here, We want the reality of the kingdom of God. We want, like I said, the reality of God himself and his perfect and complete reign. We want want that here now. We want more of that. We want our lives to reflect that more. So when we ask for the kingdom of heaven to come, for the kingdom to come, we're asking that, but we're also asking, we're asking for Jesus to come back. Do you know what the very last words of the Bible say, the end of the book of Revelation, it says, come, Lord Jesus. It is, it is the writer, whose name is John, but it is, it is God's people saying, come back, because we, there's still this longing. There's, God has, Jesus has revealed himself, and the kingdom has revealed himself in the person of Jesus, but it's not yet here. So Jesus, please come, because we want that, we want that place of no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. We want that, and it's not here yet, Right? So that's what, that's what we're asking for. And, and so it kind of makes me ask a question of like, 
you know, am I longing for the kingdom of God to come? You know, do I ask on a regular basis, God, your kingdom come? First of all, do I even know what that means? But then second of all, like, do I really want the kingdom of God to come? Do I really want God's complete and perfect reign to be a reality? Do I really want that? And I think sometimes, like, we, we might not because it really contradicts our own will, right? It contradicts us being the ones that reign. It contradicts us being king, us being on the throne. And so we have this wrestle. One of the things that, a, a couple of different places, and, and I'll, read, um, I'll read a couple of these. Uh, it's a, Jesus says, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then there's, I've lost my place, but there's a couple other places where Jesus, where Jesus says that, where he basically says you have to be born again. You have to become something new in order to enter the kingdom of God, right? And it's not like Jesus is saying that just to put another bullet point on the list of, okay, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of God? I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to be born again. Like, don't think of it like that, but it's it's really Jesus saying, like, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God because if you're not born again, like, if your desires don't change, if your heart doesn't change, if the way that we are in our fallen nature doesn't change, we will hate the kingdom of God. We will not want the kingdom of God because why in the world would we want to submit ourselves to the perfect and complete and total reign of God if we haven't been born again to have our desires align with his desires? That would be, to be honest with you, that'd be torture. Like, Imagine like us wanting to do our own thing, and we have a fierce desire to do our own thing. We have a fierce desire to, to do our own will, and, and before we come to know Christ, it's even, it's even stronger. It's, we, we, we rebel. We want to do our own thing, and so imagine the rest of eternity like with that tension. That would be, that's torture, and so we have to be born again, or else like the kingdom of God is not going to be something that's appetizing to our palate. The kingdom of God is not going to be something that that is enjoyable. And when we see what heaven, what the kingdom looks like as we kind of move forward today, like we see people who joyfully submit themselves to God's reign. We see people who, who worship God and, and love him. And we just can't get there if we're not born again. We have a sinful nature that wants to rebel against God, that wants to rebel against God's reign. And if that doesn't change we can't have access to the kingdom of God because we, 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 won't be, we can't be a citizen. No, no kingdom has citizens. No healthy kingdom has citizens who rebel against its king, who hate its king. But the funny part about that is, like, God knew that. Like, he knew that we, at one point, did not want him, that we didn't want his reign. We didn't want to submit to him. Yet he said, even though you basically hate me, even though you don't want to submit to me, I'm going to come and I'm going to die for you so that you can be a citizen. Now, what other kingdom throughout all of history do you know of that where a king has done that? It's actually been quite the opposite, right? It's been, okay, you're saying you're part of my kingdom and you're not going to submit. Well, guess what? I'm going to kill you and you're not going to be part of the kingdom. Whereas our king says, oh, you don't like me. You hate me. You don't want to submit to me. Well, guess what? I'm going to come and I'm going to die so that you can be a citizen in this kingdom. That's what our king has done. And so when God says that when we ask for the kingdom to, for the kingdom to come, we, we have to remember that, that God says that he wants to give us the kingdom. 
It's being offered to us. It's not something that we have to, that we have to work for. It's being offered to us. And so when he says that he's going to give us the kingdom, he's not just saying, I'm going to give you citizenship in my kingdom. He's also saying, I'm going to give you the king. I'm going to give you me. You're going to have full, unfettered access to me. And that's really what the heart of this is about. Like when we ask for the kingdom of God to come, we have to first answer the question of do we want the king? Do we not do we want to be part of the kingdom? Because to be honest, it's really easy to answer the question of do you want to be in heaven? Well, yeah, what we know about heaven, most of us would probably say, yes, I would like to be in heaven. But the real question is, do you want the king? Do you want the one who rules and reigns in heaven? That's the real question. So jumping into number two, what is his will and what does it mean that we ask for it to be done? So much like the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to God's will, I think there's two aspects here. And Bible scholars and theologians have a lot of names for these different things, but for our purposes today, what I'm going to call them is the, the one is going to be God's secret will, and then the other is going to be God's revealed will. Uh, like I said, Bible scholars will call the revealed will the will of command, and we'll call his secret will the will of decree. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but Revealed will is, much like it sounds, it's where God explicitly tells us what he desires for our lives, what he wills for our lives. So there's six places in the scriptures where it explicitly says this is God's will for your life. The first one, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So number one, God desires that we be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Number two, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, number one, God wants us to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Number two, God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Number three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no, let no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. So God wants us to be saved, to come to a knowledge of him. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit, and God wants us to be sanctified. Number four, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God wants us to give thanks in all circumstances. Number five, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So number five, God's will for our life is that we submit to authority because it reflects how we submit to him. And lastly, but certainly not least, number six, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. So number six, God's will for our life is that we would trust him in the midst of suffering. So I'll go through the list one more time. God's will is that we be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God wills that we be filled with the Spirit. God wills that we be sanctified. God wills that we give thanks in all circumstances. And God wills that we submit ourselves to authority. And God, God wills that we trust him in the midst of suffering. These are, this, these are six places where God's will is explicitly stated. 
And then there's the other side of God's will, which is what we're going to refer to as the secret will, which is a good example of this is like when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's, it's, it's for those times when you don't really know exactly what you're supposed to do. You don't really know exactly what's going to happen. And so you ask God, to, you, you ask God but you, you don't know what's about to happen. Another uh, Another good example would be like, let's say you have two job opportunities in front of you, right? Let's say neither one of them is sinful, right? But you don't know which one to do. And so, so you ask God, well, God, which one should I do? So those are the, those, that's the secret will. Those things where we really will never know, or where God doesn't explicitly tell us in his word, hey, here's what you do in this situation, because I don't know about you, but God, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says, Josh, when you face this situation, when you face this job or this job, I want you to take this one. It doesn't those are the places where it's not revealed to us explicitly what God wants for us to do. So the revealed will and the secret will. And so the other part of that question of what is God's will is what does it mean for us to ask for it to be done? Well, two things. It means for when we ask for God's will to be done, it means that we must first submit to what the king has commanded through the revealed will, right? God has told us how to live our lives. God has told us this is what is pleasing to me. So when we ask for God's will to be done, we have to recognize that we are going to, that we have to submit to God's revealed will, to what he has commanded. But then too, we also have to trust the things that we're unsure of, the things about God's will that, that we really don't know which way the cookie's going to crumble. You know, I hear it all the time, like, you know, let your, we, we pray in situations where we don't know what's going to happen. Lord, we, we, we ask this of you, but not your will, but mine. We kind of reflect and repeat that prayer that Jesus prayed. So when we ask for God's will to be done, we submit to what he's commanded, and then we trust the things that we're unsure of. And honestly, I'll be the first one to say that, and I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent. Um, I've been... I've been wrestling with something that relates to all this, like the whole not really sure what exactly it is that you're supposed to do, kind of the secret will of God thing, for a long time now, and it really kind of came to, not necessarily ahead, but it, it just, I wrestled a lot this week with, and I've always wrestled with this, this question of God, do you want me to go and pursue a career in the workforce as most of us know it, or God, am I supposed to pursue vocational ministry. Um, I haven't really shared that with too many people, so I didn't really expect to be sharing this today, but for whatever reason, I, I'm talking about it now, so, but it's, it's one of those things where, like, man, like, how are we supposed to know? Like, how are we supposed to know what God's will is? We, we don't, but all we can do is say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't know exactly which one of those things it is that I'm supposed to do, and I have toiled over this question for, for years, and it's been, this week specifically, been toiling over that question. But I, I, I guess I say that to say, like, that's a good example of what I'm trying to communicate when I say there's God's will that's been revealed to us, but then there's God's will that, you know, we just don't know. And we just have to trust, and we have to ask him for guidance, and we have to trust that whichever way we choose, it's going to be God's will. And I know many people believe differently about that, and I'm not going to get into that can of worms today, but if we are pursuing God, if we are asking God, truly for his will to be done, if we are trying to align our lives so that they reflect those six things that we do know God wants us to do, I believe that God's will is going to be done in our lives. And so jumping into the third question, 
How is it in heaven? So the verse says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how is it in heaven? Uh, my desire for this portion of the teaching is really to just let Scripture speak for itself. And so if you get bored by me reading the Bible, I'm sorry, but we're going to be reading quite a few verses here, so let's hang on. But I really feel like these verses really speak to this is the heart of what heaven is, of what God's complete and perfect reign is. So the first passage, Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Revelation 7, verses 9 to 12. After this, I look and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, and the four angels were and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 4, verses 1 to 11. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what, may, what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads." From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there as it was, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around them and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son So this is how it is in heaven. What we just read in each and every one of those passages is those who have the opportunity to be as close to God as you could be, who are surrounding the throne of God, falling at his feet, worshiping, submitting themselves to his complete and his perfect reign. And not doing it because they're being forced to do it, but doing it joyfully, doing it willingly, and doing it lovingly, you know, it's easy to think like, you know, God just like programmed these, these creatures to just sit around and worship him, but I don't believe that's it. I think really they're doing it because it's the only appropriate response to what they're beholding. They're beholding the full glory of God, God sitting on his throne, God like in front of them and all day. Like, this is, a, this is a reality. This isn't just like a, like a fairy tale I got put in the Bible. Like, right now, as I'm speaking, right now, as you're sitting here, right now, like, when you leave to go to work in the morning, when you are at work, when you go get lunch, when you drive home from work, when you're sleeping, like, this, these pictures of what's happening, these, these, these creatures and these elders saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, like, that's happening. It's not just a snapshot of one moment in time. It is what's happening every moment of every single day. And that's what heaven is like. So that's what it means when we say, God, make earth more like heaven as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. It's we want the earth to look more like that. Not forget the creatures and the eyes and all that. That's not what we're focusing on. It's the it's the worship of the submission to and the love for the king. That's what the goal is. So when we ask, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, we want this place and our lives to look more like that, to look more like a loving submission to your rule and your reign. But, sorry, I got locked out on my screen. We want, we want our lives to look to look more like that. So when we're saying, God, we want, we want your kingdom to come, we want your will to be done, like we're saying we want it to look like that here and now, but then also, like I said, that other aspect of the not yet, we want that picture of Revelation 21 to be a reality. We want, Jesus, we want you to come back because while you have given us your spirit here and while we have victory over sin here, there's still, we still have mourning here. We still cry. We still have pain. Like we want that day where there's no more of that. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. That's what God's purpose in sending Jesus was about. Once again, not to save Josh Baker, not to change Josh Baker's life. While it did so happen that 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 was part of the plan, it's 
It's so that there will be that multitude sitting around the throne. It's so that there will be that, that picture of no more pain, and we will be with God in a way that even now that we're not with God. It said that the dwelling place of God is with man. Like, yes, God dwells in us through the Spirit, but we will be in such a, in such a, in a much more real and full way we will be with God. Like, I think you're seeing, like, I can't even, like, communicate this because it's like, how do you, I communicate it? How do I communicate us being more with God than we are now? Like, us seeing more of God's glory than we do now. I just, it, it's a hard thing to communicate. That's why I said at the beginning, it's like, my message is not going to be sufficient to, to really get us to understand what this thing is all about. But what I hope that it does and what I hope that, that, that God uses it for is to show us that like, the kingdom is so much bigger than what, we, than what we act like, than what we live like. Like the kingdom is so much bigger than these four walls of this building. And so if we understand that and if we have, if we have been changed by the love of God, if we've been changed by the grace of God through Jesus, like we, there should be action that's being that there should be an urgency and there should be action based on what we just read. Like a picture of a multitude of nations and of tribes sitting around a throne of God. Like, I don't know about you, but that puts like a desire in me to want to go out and to want to speak about what God has done, to want to worship God more, to want to tell people about who he is. But like, this is a reality that's happening right now. And we just live our lives with such apathy sometimes. And I do too. I'm not like saying, oh, you do that, and I don't. Like, I do it too. We live our lives with such apathy considering the king that we have, considering the kingdom that we're a part of and that we've been invited into and that we've become citizens of. We talked about at House Church this, this last week, like towards the end, we were talking about like, you know, kind of like evangelizing, like sharing our faith with people. And one of the things that I, that I wrestle with and that I felt like you know, needed to be said was like, sometimes we, we say, oh God, I want more opportunities to, to share with people. Like I want more chances to do it. And it's like, you know, Jesus sent out 72 people to go and share. Like he didn't just say, hey, go live your life. And like, if a conversation comes up, like he sent them out saying, go talk to people about it. And so what happens is those opportunities, when they're met with a passion to share when they're met with a strong desire to share with others what God has what God has done and who God is I think that's when those opportunities blossom into something incredibly beautiful that's when those opportunities blossom into somebody coming to know the Lord and somebody's life being completely changed and completely transformed I'm going to read the verse that we read at the beginning again to close it's from Luke chapter 12. It says, But if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Where your where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question becomes, where is our treasure? Is our treasure our king? Is our treasure Jesus? Is our treasure the kingdom? Because... We can't ask for God's kingdom to come. We can't ask for 
God's will to be done. We can't ask for earth to look more like heaven if our treasure actually isn't him. It's a contradiction of terms. Like, why would we ask for God's will to be done in our life if we don't want to submit to God's will? Why would we ask for the kingdom to come if we actually want to be the ones who sit on that throne? Why would we ask for it to look more like earth, for it to look more like heaven on earth? Why would we ask that if we don't really want the king? Because if we don't want the king, it means nothing. We can, we can repeat that sentence over and over. We can say as many times as we want, your kingdom come, your will be done. But if we don't actually want the king, if we haven't come to know the king, those words are void of any kind of meaning. Those words become empty. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know any of, I know some of your backgrounds, but I don't know everybody's story, right? I don't know where you're at in relation to what you think of this king, what you think of this kingdom, what you think of heaven, what you think of God's will. I don't know where you're at, but what I do know is that God often flips things upside down, and he has flipped the script upside down when he said that, hey, even though you rebel against me, even though you might even hate me, I'm the kind of king that will come and that will die in your place so that you can be a citizen and so that you can have access. He's not like the kings of this world, those who led empires of our age. He's not like the people that say, oh, you don't submit, you, don't, you, you messed up, okay, you're done. He's not like that. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And so as citizens, if you do know him, if you have received that grace of citizens of that kingdom, I just, I commend us today Let's be people that, that have a desire to go and, and share about what God has done, about our king. Let's be people who, when we say, God, your kingdom come, we know what that means. We know that we need to submit, and we need to, we need to trust in things that we don't know. We need to submit to what God has commanded. And when we say, God, make earth more like heaven, we need to be people who understand what that means, who know that that means that that requires us to lay down our lives, to lay down our crowns, just like those elders. I mean, they had their own throne, they had their own crown, right? But guess what? When they saw the king, they tossed theirs off and they laid down on their face and they said, I'm not worthy of this crown. Let's do that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I just pray that, that you would... Just use your word as you see fit. Lord, you, you tell me that your word doesn't return void, but it accomplishes the purpose that you set it out to accomplish. And so while my words today and just this 30, 45-minute period of time could never truly do justice to you, to your kingdom, to, to what you desire for us, I just pray that you use it. Lord, I pray that... We would be people that truly have a burden and a passion and a desire for your kingdom to be more present, for the reality of your reign, the reality of you to be more present here in this world. And Lord, I pray we would be people who long for your return, who know that that is a reality too, that it could happen right now. It could happen on our way home. Lord, let us not be apathetic. Let us not be people who, who live this life just looking for leisure and who 
Lord, let us be people who keep watch because we never know when you're going to return. And Lord, we want to be people who, who are joyful at your coming. We want to be people who, who long for it, who say, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to, to lay down our own crowns. Help us to, to bow before you, to submit ourselves to what you have commanded and to trust you in the things that we're not sure of. Lord, do the work that only you can do and help us to just get out of your way. In Jesus' name, amen.